That's a dreadful ball and Chelsea could be in here with Goff who goes for goal and scores! Finds the back of the net! Henri! What a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri! Miller, lovely cushion header for The Ghost Goal Podcast. Loyal Premier League fans would have been intruded to a great weekend of goals and high-scoring affairs. As West Ham came from 3-1 down to beat Huddersfield at home, Leicester City overcame an early red card to win 2-1 at Burnley, Newcastle snatched a draw from the jaws of defeat at Bournemouth, Liverpool overcame a terrible error from Allison and Van Dyke to win 2-1, and Chelsea slipped up at the hands of Everton 2-0. I'm Alex, here with Javier. We are here to talk a little bit about the Premier League games this week, maybe a, a couple other topics. We've got, we've got time to burn. We've got an international break coming up, the first for a long time. Uh, I'm calling it right 13 now. Days I'm without, it right now. 13 days. Javier, 13 days without uh, club football. Can you can you, can you you survive Just it? Before We've I answer that meaningless. question, I'm going to call it right now. Arsenal are making top four. I'm already yeah, breaking, I'm already breaking that. that right before we started recording, Alex says to me, Arsenal's it, not supposed known, to be on this pod. I, I, I'm breaking that let, immediately. Let it be known, Javier. Let it be known, listeners, that Javier is currently wearing his Arsenal scarf after a weekend in which Arsenal did not play in the Premier League. You know, he's fully on his bullshit. The delusion has crept back into his life. He made the comeback against Red. He's looked at their schedule. Javier has looked at Arsenal's schedule and decided that they're not losing a game for the rest of the season. We're going to win Europa. It's going to be the best. Okay, you heard it here first. That's Javier's bold prediction. Don't you guys ever let him forget it. Oh, wait, even if you didn't let him forget it, he doesn't have a Twitter because he's too much of a coward to get one and face any criticism. This guy doesn't even come on podcasts after his team loses to Liverpool or Chelsea. He gets sick, quote unquote. You know, so, I mean, it's okay making bold predictions now, but wait till Arsenal uh, choke it away. It's okay, again he's at the end salty of the season. because but Chelsea got this destroyed. This podcast isn't about over Arsenal. The this podcast... We'll probably not touch on Arsenal for the rest of the uh, the duration, uh, other than maybe like a top four like discussion uh, during the Chelsea segment. But we're going to start off with first of all Saturday. We kind of underplayed a lot of the games that were going on. There were three games all kicking off at 11 a.m. here in the United States: Bournemouth, Newcastle, Burnley, Leicester, West Ham, Huddersfield. At a glance, we looked at this and we kind of went, oh, wow, the FA Cup happening this weekend has really, really crippled the Premier League fixtures other than Sunday. And all three of these games turned into like entertaining, exciting games like right until the right until the end. We didn't get, I, I, did you get a chance to watch any of these? We yeah, were hanging out I Saturday. did. Um, I, I was which one I was watching the uh, Bournemouth Newcastle game and kind of switching in between the Burnley Leicester and the Bournemouth Newcastle. So yeah, yeah, were, I was on Burnley Leicester. We both picked wrong. You should have gone West Ham out of Yeah, they were. Uh, no, nah, I mean they very good. I, I don't think I had West Ham Huddersfield actually, but um, but yeah, no, I, I I thought that Leicester did really really well to come back in that game, considering they had a red card in the fourth minute, which I think was just Maguire like clipped. Oh yeah, I mean Goodmanson was in on right. goal. Maguire. Well, let's get back to like the chronological order, I guess. Uh, we can start with Burnley Leicester. Uh, Leicester won 2-1. James Madison opened the scoring in the 33rd minute uh, after Harry Maguire got a red card for clipping Goodmanson's ankles when he was in on goal. And like he did clip them. It was a foul. 
he was the last man back. He knew it as soon as he did it. It was a red card. There was no really uh, uh, contesting that decision. But for Leicester to take the lead off a free kick from James Madison in the 33rd minute, concede to uh, Dwight McNeil chance for Burnley in the 38th minute, and then just out of nowhere, Wes Morgan pops up with a, a back post header in the 90th minute to win it for them. Both Alex and I, mean, I have, uh, sides. have said some things about West Morgan on this pod. and I mean, uh, I stand by those terrible things about West Morgan that <laughs> so I've said. But, he but can, that was a great He can pop up with him. all the goals he wants. He can pop up with all the goals he wants. I'm, he's still he's still past he, uh, it He just defender, got a, a, that's a, his primary a, another job. year extension. It was announced today. Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, good luck with that, Lester. Um, might, might be time to move on. I mean, great that he scored the winner in this one, but he's still a borderline liability defensively. You know, he was um, just like, hey, boss, yeah. hey, boss, look, I just got the winner. Harry Maguire, he gets red cards all the time. You're going to need me next year. And he's like, okay, I can see it. I can see it. Yeah, yeah. Sign him up Does again. Does Harry Maguire <laughs> get red cards all the time? I think that's his second of the season. He got a couple last year, too. He's okay. he's a little bit you prone. So. He's a little bit prone to. Uh, he's a little clumsy. Yeah, a couple of right. two yellows, and I mean he's in that position. He 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 definitely goes goes in hard for tackles. He's a uh, he's 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 a big lad too. So like sometimes when he tackles someone, it it looks worse than than it is, or you know he you know usually a smaller person. There was no doubting this yeah. one. There was no doubting this one. Bigger picture, this affects Burnley significantly. They're now two points ahead of Cardiff City, who are in the last relegation spot, and uh, they're game in, and have a game in hand on Burnley. But uh, I will say that game in hand is at Manchester City, so you can't really uh, assume so, uh, Cardiff's they have getting another, any kind of uh, minus out five of that. goal difference there. Right. <laughs> Just further uh, hampering to Cardiff's goal difference. Um, so, yeah, okay. I guess when you put it that way, it's not the end of the world for Burnley. It just it just feels like a game that after their opponents went down to 10 men in the fourth minute, you, you'd kind of like them to at least get a draw out yeah, of that. Yeah, but they've Even also the like shown us enough this year, enough fight, and enough like good results now that we're, we we both kind of agreed like they're, they're going to be safe. And it feels like the three that are in the relegation zone, like you just feels like Cardiff are probably coming up short here. Burnley have a pivotal six pointer with Cardiff City on April thirteenth, coming up in the next couple of weeks. That that one is on the same day as I believe Chelsea Liverpool. So two huge games at both ends of the table happening on the same Premier League weekend. We'll be uh, looking forward to that with bated breath. Uh, we'll move on now to Bournemouth and Newcastle. Uh, Salman Rodon put Newcastle ahead with a beautiful free kick just before halftime. Uh, before a Josh King penalty and another first-time finish from Josh King uh, put Bournemouth ahead uh, 2-1 in the last 10 minutes. And Matt Ritchie, the former Bournemouth player, popped up in the 94th minute, scored a beautiful volley at the back post to uh, seal a draw for Newcastle, who didn't play overall amazingly well. But for them to still get a draw uh, from this game, like a somewhat difficult away game at Bournemouth. Yeah, I thought that was super impressive. That that impressed me. Yeah. Yeah, they've been impressive the last couple of weeks. Obviously, they're like the last team to beat City in the last like 20 games. City have won or drawn every other game other than that. So uh, Rafa Benitez has got uh, Newcastle trending upward again on a similar path, almost an identical path. I'm glad. To, I'm glad uh, Ashley went out and spent money on Rondon and Almiron, and like they, was, they actually didn't spend any money on Rondon. They just uh, they loaned uh, Dwight Gale to uh, to West Brom, and they just sort of called it even. Oh, wow, Rafa's genius. He yep. knows how to. But I, I think Ashley has to back him now. 
I mean, he gave him money for Almiron, but I think this summer you got to give him this guy 100 mil, 150 mil and say, buy whoever well, you want. Ask Newcastle fans. Mike Ashley has never shown a willingness to give our, uh, to give Newcastle even 50 million. It, it's well documented that Miguel Almiron, when they signed him for what, like 20 Three million, twenty-five million during uh, January. That was they, they broke their transfer record to sign him, and uh, the, the previous transfer record that they had held for ten years was for Michael Owen in two thousand seven or two thousand six, and it was that's, fifteen million. That's really embarrassing. They had kept a fifteen million transfer as their record transfer through all of this, through all of these ridiculous transfers, and somehow they've stayed up. I think, yeah, absolutely. Rafa deserves uh, credit for that. He, he's done a great job with very little resources. Bournemouth, you feel like, are starting to get back into the swing of things. They had a couple of bad injuries for uh, Callum Wilson and David Brooks and a few other key players yeah, now like that, that Brooks, they're starting to get healthy Lerma, now. Wilson all coming back. Um, it looks like, you know, they're going to be kind of in that early season form that they had where they were they looked pretty good and they, they could probably beat any team on their day. So it, it doesn't look like they've made that next step yet, that step up that we've been thinking that they could make um, under Eddie Howe. And we kind of expected it this year. Maybe they were unlucky with injuries, but they have spent a lot of money. And you feel like they should be on the same level as, like, obviously Wolves, considering the amount of money really? they've spent. And I don't think they spend as much money as the Wolves and Everton's and and they spent uh, like West they spent the league, thirty though. million something on Ake. They spent twenty million on Ake. Uh, they spent twenty million on Solanke just recently. They, they they've had like one or two fairly big buys. But other than that, they've been shopping in the bargains. I think David Brooks was something like ten million. They've done a good job of using relatively like fewer resources than the rest of the mid-table teams to get players that have. Uh, I mean, there's no other way of saying it. They've kind of overperformed or outperformed expectations, and Eddie Howe's a big reason for that. So I don't think they have the same expectation level, maybe, as the Wolves, Everton's, and uh, like West Ham's in terms of like their spending and. What, what that spending should give them. But for them, as long as they're nowhere near the relegation zone or nowhere near like the relegation, even like uh, like a threat of relegation at this point of the season, they're in a good place. And I feel like despite a pretty big midseason slump, they're still people still consider them to be like a cut above the relegation candidates, like the Palaces and Burnleys and uh, other teams like down around that area. Um, so, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty successful season if you if you take it that way. Cal Wilson has played well for the majority of it when he's been available, but he's also missed a big chunk of games, and they've been able to overcome that to some degree. So um, they'll be disappointed by this result, but uh, a, a point helps both these teams uh, at this point of the season. Let's move on to West Ham, who came back from 3-1 down at home against Huddersfield of all teams to win 4-3. Mark Noble opened the scoring for West Ham in the 15th minute with a penalty before uh, Juninho Bacuna equalized for Huddersfield. And then out of nowhere, a player that Bacuna. I certainly Bacuna. had never heard of before, Carlin Grant, who they signed in January from uh, Charlton Athletic, came in and scored twice uh, in the span of 35 minutes. Uh, once to put Huddersfield ahead in the 30th minute and then a great uh, solo effort in the 65th minute to put them up 3-1. Uh, Angelo Ogbana got a goal in the 75th minute to bring it back to 3-2 before Javier Hernandez whipped out the LeBron celebration, the the, 
pumping the hands as you uh, as you celebrate, you know, and then slapping the chest. You can use it on FIFA. It's uh, it's uh, very easy to learn on FIFA. But he used that celebration both times when he uh, equalized for West Ham in the 84th minute and then won it for them in the 91st. Most notable stat I got Typical from this game. Typical by the way. Just, just like his finishes. I just had, I, the last yeah, they're both goals. just classic Chicharito finishes, right. for sure. Uh, just, like just inside or around the six-yard box, just... It's crazy though, because perfectly. like when he starts games, he's just he, he rarely looks like a very good player, but always coming off the bench, wherever he's been, he's just been like a massive threat. He, he's been the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of his generation, for sure. That's the player that he was compared to most when he first joined United. Uh, I, there's it's a pretty fair comparison, I think. The most notable stat I <laughs> grasped from this was that, and I, I suspected it before I heard it for real. Uh, this was the first game this season the Huddersfield scored three goals. And they still came away with nothing. They had a three-one lead and came away with nothing. Yeah, they were they were they were delirious. None of their players. uh, When I was watching the highlights, it looked like the fans were going crazy. Like they thought they they were getting their first away win. There was twenty-five minutes to play, and and they were acting like they'd won it. Like, have you guys watched your team defend this season? (laughs) Oh God, you. You can't help but feel for them, but um, I came away from this one being more impressed with West Ham than I was disappointed in Huddersfield. We've kind of come to expect poor defending at timely parts of the game from Huddersfield. For West Ham, I've just been more impressed with the stability that uh, Manuel Pellegrini's brought to the team this season. It just feels like in the past, even under Slavin Bilic, when they had that great season and almost got top four, they always have these like mood swings where, like, as you would say, a, a Jackal and Hyde team, even though it's Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> um, they, they go through spells where they play well for five to six games, get three or four wins in that span, and then they just fall apart for almost 10 games. And that capitulation brings them right back down to the relegation discussion. They started this season badly, but I've been impressed with how Pellegrini, despite the injuries to uh, Arnautovic and Yarmolenko early on in the season, he still managed to get this team up for uh, a consistent period. And they may drop a game here and there, but he never let it, lets it snowball into two, three, four games without a point or without uh, a win or something like that. He, uh, I've been really impressed with Pellegrini. And um, there's still issues at the back. They're still relying on uh, mistake-prone defenders like Ogbana uh, with, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's the Chilean defender, the Paraguayan defender they signed who uh, got injured? Fabian Balbuena, that's what I'm thinking of. He got an injury after forming a pretty good partnership with Issa Diop early on in the season, and he's pretty much out for the season. Ogbana's come in and... Like I mentioned, he's been pretty mistake-prone despite getting a goal in this game. There's still some issues there at the back. They've got promising talents like Declan Rice in midfield who can uh, help stem those defensive problems. But there's going to be uh, – you you expect them to invest significantly in the squad this summer with uh, Pellegrini giving them that stability. People forget that this time last season, there were riots happening in the stadium. The, the West Ham fans were attacking the owner's box and throwing bottles and coins and stuff – at the owner's box. It was absolute pandemonium at West Ham. And now they've kind of sort of dragged themselves out of that that mud where their, their name is constantly being linked to relegation, even though they're spending much more money than the teams down there. Now they're probably among the uh, the clubs in terms of the spending uh, stature yeah, that they should be. They're in ninth seventh, place now. Which it looks like seventh place is probably going to be a Europa League spot. I think all that it takes for that to happen is for Man Manchester City, City to win the FA Cup. Right. So I think 
pretty likely um, that becomes uh, another Europa spot. And I'm sure, you know, Wolves, Watford, West Ham, Leicester are all within three points of each other. Um, and then Everton is, is, you know, four points back from that spot. I would say those four, those five teams are kind of forming their own mini league, which Bournemouth would love, like to break into, Palace too, Newcastle. But I feel like they're all still a good amount right, off these other teams. Between that and relegation. Right. So from those teams, who do you think is most likely to break into the top six? The most likely, I think at this point, you have to say Wolves, just because they've shown more of the consistency, especially against the top teams. Uh, then the likes of Leicester, uh, West Ham, Bournemouth, all of those teams have wins against Chelsea, Arsenal, Watford beating Tottenham. All those teams have like one or two good results against the top six. Everton just beat Chelsea, which we'll get to in a second. But Wolves have shown they've been able to do it more consistently and putting good performances against the top six more consistently and with more uh, confidence. They're not quite as with their backs against the wall and it's not quite as desperate when they go and play the top six. They have a bit more quality. So I would expect Wolves to do it, but I think with the money that West Ham have showed they've been willing to spend and Everton have showed they've been willing to spend, that those teams, at least financially, might be able or might be willing to try and push Wolves to be that that next best team outside of the top six. And it's a tough one to call because what does breaking into the top six get you? Doesn't Realistically, it doesn't even get you anything. If you really want to get a, a competitive advantage to your rivals, you have to be willing to spend money to try and get into the top four and get Champions League. Well, which I think for those to teams, these clubs they, seems they com- completely insurmountable. Be above one of the current top six, then that would be a big achievement, I think. If they were able to finish sure, like one or if, two if seasons. If you introduce, take Everton, for example, last season. If you introduce Europa League, where Everton played the Europa League group stage, and they were in a difficult group with uh, Lyon and I think Hadrick Split and Lazio, some Italian team, maybe uh, Atalanta. It was Atalanta. That completely threw their season off the rails. They were in the relegation zone. They fired Ronald Koeman. They had to bring in Sam Allardyce, even though you would argue they have a deep enough squad to be able to sort of amount... Uh, a relatively decent like campaign in both Europa League and uh, Premier League. But for Everton, they weren't able to overcome it. And that's something that if Wolves or whatever team locks up Europa League next season, because Wolves and Watford could both still get Europa League if they win the FA Cup. They'll play each other in the FA Cup semifinal. They'll likely have to play Manchester City in the final. Who knows? City should probably win it, but you can never count it out in a cup competition. Uh, so if either of those teams get Europa League, I'm interested to see once they've got that Europa League place, whether they can sort of juggle the responsibilities of European football in any form with Premier League. Because right now, all of them are just purely focused on the Premier League. It's not the end of the world if get, they get knocked out of the Carabao Cup. They would like to go deep in the FA Cup, as some of them have shown. But at the end of the day, they're more focused on t- staying away from the relegation zone and just making sure that that threat is just not even in the back of their minds come the end of the season. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think Wolves, do, who, who would you think it would be? Yeah, I think the obvious one is Wolves, um, considering the, the amount of money they spent and this, is, this being their first year in the league. Also, just the trajectory that Leicester took. You know, their first year, they were relegation candidates. Wolves are doing a lot better than Leicester were in their first year. And they're trying to follow a similar mold to what Leicester did. But I would say that the second team that I would say are like dark horses to break in is actually the team that you were just talking about, West Ham. Uh, I actually agree with you that under Pellegrini, it looks like, you know, they. I think they have more depth, squad depth, than 
Everton or Leicester or Watford um, or Wolves, if you look at any of those teams' benches most of the time, they don't really have many options. West Ham most of the time have a good amount of talented attacking options on the bench. Defensively, like you said, they still have issues. But if they go and drop, I don't know, go find a good partner for Diop. I know that you said they had Balbuena, but go find another, another good one. And then get some proper fullbacks. Stop playing like, you know, past it. Sabaleta and yeah. stop playing Mark Noble in the midfield, and I think well, they'll they have they have the Zabaleta replacement Ryan Fredericks, who they got from Fulham last year. He's just they they, they just relied on Zabaleta more, but he's Fredericks is supposed to be like the next guy they play at right back when Zabaleta retires. They have Cresswell a left back and Masuaku. Yeah, they've got some they've got some depth. I agree. I don't know if I agree with the statement that they have more depth than Everton or Watford or Wolves. I think it's about even, but I think the quality that they, that they have and like the willingness they've shown to uh, spend money is what makes me think that they'd be the most willing of those teams to like actually try and build off their uh, success from this season. They've got the perfect manager for it. Who is, who is a better manager than them? You know, from those teams, they've got a Premier League winning manager. They've got a La Liga uh, winning. I think he won the La Liga with uh, Real, didn't he? I can't remember. He's he's a Champions League pedigreed manager. He did. He won the league with uh, Real, I believe. Yeah, I thought I thought he I thought he might have. Um, so yeah, good things from West Ham. Obviously, not great to fall three uh, one behind at home to the bottom team in the league, but uh, they showed the fortitude to come back and win that game. Uh, let's move on to the Liverpool away visit to Fulham, where they got the a two one win. Sadio Mane opened the scoring in the twenty sixth minute uh, before a huge gaffe from the likes of Van Dyke and Allison. They're two big signings from the last year or so. Gave Ryan Babel the easy goal in the 74th minute to equalize. And Sergio Rico made up for that with a terrible gaffe to drag Sadio Mane to the ground for the penalty in the 81st minute that James Milner quickly dispatched. Uh, Liverpool had the Champions League hangover that I was uh, suggesting they might have last week. They obviously showed the ability to win despite that. They weren't overly impressive in this game. I don't, I don't think you can say they deserve to drop points, but they uh, it was it was certainly, it seemed like right from the off, even with the kind of early goal, that it wasn't going to be just a cut and dry, easy uh, fixture for them. That gaff for the equalizer for, for Babel, that had the potential to really derail their season. I, in the moment, we were watching this game together. I was texting a group chat that you and myself and my cousin Connor and saying that if Liverpool don't get the winner here, then that has the potential to be labeled as the Steven Gerrard slip of this uh, title challenge. They obviously were able to make up for it and, and get the winner, but it was it was yeah that was, was that rough was there for a couple very minutes. Very surprising, but honestly, Halston could have easily caught it. He was it was headed back to him by Van Dyke. It wasn't well headed. But it was headed back to him, and he didn't try to catch it. He instead like spread his legs to try. It's the and first big error we've seen from Allison this season. But I, I was going to say it happens no, to it's every not the goalie. First. It's not the first. He had the one against Leicester that led to their uh, okay. to their I guess the goal. But the, the it didn't United come back to bite home. them in the butt. It's so. his third for sure. Maybe we don't see Ederson making such high profile errors, which is interesting. But Allison still is the the national team keeper, and I wouldn't look too much into it. They still got the result, and they were pretty lackluster, like you said. And Salah was just so desperate the whole game to get a goal. It was he was trying too hard. Like there uh, yeah, is a, such I, a I thing. I want to talk about him in a second hard. when we finish talking about like the game in general, but. 
Yeah, that was, I'm starting to get worried about him. It's like seven games without a goal now. And like you said, it, it, he's he's still looking good. He's still creating chances and he's still getting shots off. But it all just looks a bit desperate. Like he wants it a bit too much, which I don't know why that matters because he's a goal scorer and he should want to score and he should want to be on back on the score sheet. But it, it's something about that coupled with... Mane's huge turnaround where, I mean, he wasn't bad in the first half of the season, but he's just reached another level these last 10 games or so. What does he have, like 10 goals in 10 games or 11 in 10, something like that? That That's like a real uh, league winning and Champions League winning run of form that Mane's on right now. And Salah's probably, I think his reaction is just him, him sitting there and being like, what the hell? I'm the goal scorer on this team. We're going on this great run right now. We're trying to win these trophies and I'm not scoring. Like, what are people going to say about me? Like, you have to be happy that the team is getting results like they have been. But if you're one of their best players of, of, of late and started the season so well to just drop off like this, like, I can understand why it's so frustrating. I just worry about like whether that frustration will come to affect them in uh, like future results. Like if the games tied in the Premier League or in the Champions League, and Salah has like an easy pass to make, is that greed? Maybe greed is the wrong word. Is that desperation going to lead to him making the wrong decision and taking the shot on himself rather than making the right play? That's what I'm watching if I'm a Liverpool fan, and that's what like would concern me. But it's good that he's still showing the same uh, fight as ever to try and uh, score the goals for Liverpool. Was there any question for you in Mane's penalty? Andrew said said that he got a little uh, pushback from certain certain friends that that might not have no, been a penalty, I, and we both disagreed. I thought right it was away. a stonewall penalty, and there was no nothing in the commentary or anything to suggest otherwise. No one really. It, it didn't look like anyone. Was, I mean, it was just terrible goalkeeping he just had his hands all over Mane and well he dropped the ball from the Salah shot Rico the Salah shot was like kind of tame and Rico could have just caught it and instead it slipped out of his hands onto the ground Mane kicks it away and then he drags Mane to the ground and yeah it was a stonewall and Mane was probably going to score if he didn't so no, it got cleared right away after that. If he just left it, no, no, no. The then, ball, no, the uh, ball the, was like the throwing. Left back Mane was had control of the ball. Mane was going to score. Like you can tell, well, Mane, Mane was about kicked to it score. away. Mane kicked it away, and then I can't remember which player it was, but a Fulham player cleared it out, and it was it was so instantaneous that like I doubt if uh, Rico hadn't handled Mane and brought him down, I doubt that Mane would have gotten to it anyway. Like he, he did well to get his foot on it to push it away from Rico in the first place, but he pushed it too far that he would have been able to follow it up and score. So it's a huge mistake from Rico. I think people just people have just noticed a decent amount of luck in Liverpool's favor in the Premier League this season. And I think any time a decision goes their way now, people are just jumping out and saying, oh, Liverpool get lucky again. It probably wasn't even a, a real penalty. It was probably just gifted to them. This wasn't the case. Liverpool deserved the penalty here and I think just deserved to exit. If we don't talk about this one, we can get to the dumpster fire that was Everton-Chelsea. <laughs> Before we get to that dumpster fire, Alex, um, I do have one, one more thing to mention about Liverpool. I think being out of the FA Cup and being out of these other cups and just focusing on the Premier League and the Champions League, it's going to be good for them. Um, and I think that their Champions League matchup is going to favor them in this Premier League run-in. I think Manchester City are arguably definitely on the harder side of the bracket, so and they're going to have harder matchups here. So I think it's fair. I think it's fairly even in terms of the Champions League matchups. Liverpool will have to play Porto, which is obviously easier than City having to play Tottenham. But I think those are relatively 
City have shown like a relative dominance over Tottenham head to head at least over the last three yeah, years. Yeah, that's of fair. Pep Guardiola I guess being when there. you take that into account, and then both teams would have to face either uh, well would likely have to face Man City would have to face Juventus in the semi final, and Liverpool would have to play Barcelona likely in the semi final. So, and even if even if they didn't, Liverpool would have to face Manchester United, which would be just as contentious uh, as a Barcelona semi-final. So I, I think it has potentially even out, but I, I agree with you. City being involved on the FA Cup front also, I don't think the matchups specifically that City have to play in between those Premier League games are going to affect them. I think just the uh, natural way that your Premier League games get postponed and pushed back and you play them at a later date when you progress further in the FA Cup. So... City will end up having a game in hand. I mean, they do now after this weekend. Um, they'll end up having another game in hand for the FA Cup semifinal. So that's two games that Liverpool are going to get to play before City right, you always want the play points theirs. And you don't want the games in hand ever. You always want to just well, get the no, points I mean, up it on depend, the board. It depends on what those games in hand are. One of the games in hand is the Man United away game, would have been, which would have been played this weekend. So that's been pushed back to a few weeks from now in a midweek uh, capacity. It's it's going to be the one of the really big games in hand that City will have to win to get uh, back up and get the advantage over Liverpool, unless Liverpool drop more points. Um, I think the other game in hand they're going to have is going to be uh, Cardiff at home. So that one, you would assume they win. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a slight advantage for Liverpool, but uh, they'll have to keep putting points on the board. And if they, if they drop points in any of these and leave it where City can uh, open up a gap themselves when they play those games in hand, they're going to be asking for trouble. So uh, let's move on to the Everton-Chelsea game. Everton won 2-0 at Goodison Park. Uh, Richarlison opened the scoring in the 49th minute before Sigurdsson sealed it with a penalty in the 72nd. Just overall really frustrating game. That's been the key word after every poor Chelsea result this season. Because uh, most of the time we dominate possession and dominate the uh, the ball specifically for most of the game, create a good amount of chances and don't score. And that's exactly what happened here. I said to you, and I, I think I said on the podcast last week that the first goal in this game was going to be so important just because of the like precarious mental state that both teams were in. Where like Chelsea are, you know, they were still in with a shout to get into the top four, even after this loss. But it was feeling pretty like we, we couldn't afford to lose or even drop points in any more of our Premier League games with the the schedule that our rivals have. Meanwhile, Everton have have they they've had just as poor of a run of form. They had a win against uh, Cardiff a few weeks ago that uh, was a little bit of a boost. But other than that, they've been absolutely terrible in league play uh they gave up a two goal or a two goal lead against newcastle the week before and uh they managed to hold on to this one but you watched this one over at my place we had all of the all of the control of the game in the first half we could have and i would argue should have been up at least one nil a halftime optimistically maybe even two nil Higuain had to bury that chance he had um I mean, that's what you guys paid him for. It's not to bury the goals against Huddersfield. It's to score that chance against Everton so that you can get the first goal. Maybe Morata scores there. I mean, I, 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 like it's... I guarantee you he doesn't. That same position, the ball, the, the first, like the immediate ball in behind by Jorginho. I saw Jorginho attempt to play those to Morata numerous times over the first six he months He scored one of the against season. Arsenal where he rounded the and, keeper. 
No, he didn't round the keeper. He beat Mustafi and put it past uh, Czech. But, right, he put it past Czech, um, but he was one-on-one with but, the keeper. But, but the ball that came in from Jorginho to Higuain for that chance was one of those ones that it was like the, the ball was being – it was like in a transition where people were trying to win the ball back and the ball just got knocked to Jorginho. And without like taking a touch or anything, he just first time like shipped it in behind. And Higuain had like the sense and understanding with Jorginho to go in. But we've seen that run a million times from Higuain. And he's only really been able to capitalize on it like once or twice this season or once or twice since January. And he's missed it a bunch of other times. And that time he missed it. So I don't know if if, uh, Morata even makes that run. Uh, and even if he does, I think he probably has a similar result to uh, Higuain because, you know, and, it's Morata. And then in the second half, it, it felt like when you guys brought Giroud and when you brought Giroud on, like you guys and didn't really change the game that much. And you guys didn't really utilize Giroud like, like he's, you know, like he's supposed to be used. Like he's he's supposed to be really good off the bench. And I feel like you guys just didn't didn't take advantage of his strengths at all. Yeah, I mean, we didn't we didn't really look to feed him. We were still obsessing over trying to build play through, through Eden. Just, Eden just giving Hazard, the ball to Eden every time. Not just Eden, though, but trying to build through him and uh, Loftus-Cheek because he had come on. But but then the one player who had a bunch of responsibility in this game and just failed at every time that he was called upon to make it like a positive effect on the game was Marcus Alonso. Yeah, he had he multiple had shots game. in the box that he just scuffed or missed. He gave away a penalty uh, he, gave, he got a yellow card in the first half on a bad challenge on Richarlison that gave them a set piece that they almost scored off of. He was just overall just not great. And I think part of that blame deserves to be put on Sorry because he basically used him as a winger and had uh, Barkley filling in kind of as in left back when we were on the ball in possession. But Marcus Alonso pushed all the way up like that far forward. It was hard to hit for him to really have like a positive impact on the game like defensively. But when you don't score a goal, that means it was it was a failure. He was he was supposed to be up there to help us in, in the attacking phase, and we end up not scoring. And we had so many good chances. It's just it's it, it's really frustrating. And we can talk about Chelsea big picture some other time because I'm sure it would just be parroting a lot of other statements from past podcasts. But this game specifically, it's it's just another game where uh, lack of clinical finishing has just really come back to haunt us in the in the second half. Yeah, this result doesn't scare say, me at all. Like we're still winning at Everton. Oh yeah, no, you shouldn't you shouldn't be scared. That, this is clearly on us. It's not like on yeah, Everton you guys absolutely all. should have put a couple they, past them in the first made, half, and, and this this way they literally made one tactical change that won them the game. Where in the first half they were purely trying to get the ball to Richarlison or Sigurdsson centrally to try and counterattack through the middle and try to get balls like up to Calvert Lewin so we could like chest it down and bring other people in. They changed from going through the middle on their counterattacks to in the second half pushing everything and just hoofing the ball in behind us on the wings. And our wingbacks are the ones who get so far forward. So that any team that plays in behind our wingbacks is probably going to be able to at least win set pieces and, and get chances that way. This was Everton's Everton first, up getting the first, first win against like a top six side this season. So good for them. For the last couple of seasons. When was the last time they won against a top six side? It's been it, – it had been a while. They didn't do it at all last season, I remember. That was like a stat from that season where it's like Everton got enough points to stay up, but they didn't get any points against the top six or maybe like a draw here and there or something. So it's a huge result for them. Um, uh, they need it just as badly as we do, arguably maybe even more, because they were down in 12th 
uh, at the bottom end of that mid-table mini-league that you were talking about. Uh, this obviously puts them right back into the thick of it. Um, and, and Chelsea now sit three points behind Arsenal, who are in uh, fourth place. And so uh, that's the other mention of Arsenal you'll get in this podcast, and uh, no more after that. <laughs> uh, so that wraps it up for this week on the Ghost Call Podcast. We've got an international break coming up for the next uh, week or two. So uh, we'll be back likely next weekend, or sorry, next week to preview the uh, upcoming Premier League games, which includes a huge Liverpool-Tottenham game at Anfield. So uh, keep an eye out for that in the middle of next week. Uh, Javier, thanks for coming on the pod again. Make sure to follow us on social media at Ghost Goal Pod, at Andrew Bissarro, uh, at ASMOS92, and at Javier Rev9, at Javier Rev9, right? Yeah. Um, on Twitter and, and Instagram. Uh, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. Ratings and reviews boost our exposure and help new listeners find the pod. And until next time, see you.